Sweet teachers and Pilates lovers, welcome to the Thinking Pilates podcast, where we're having rich and sometimes way out there conversations about the Pilates mindset, movement practice, and how it just might help us be better humans, and of course, this beautiful thing called teaching. I'm Chantelle Lopez. I'm the founder and the ringleader of this delightful circus, and I'm joined by my wonderful co-hosts, James Crater and Deborah Colway, who you'll be hearing from soon. The Thinking Pilates podcast is not only a passion project, but a critical platform for sharing and having open discussions about movement and teaching. And so if you're digging on what we're up to, you can help us thrive and grow by letting the world know what you think. You can do that by leaving us a review on iTunes, of course, which would be super awesome, and by liking our Facebook page, The Thinking Pilates Podcast. Your comments and shares of the episodes you love best are also really important to keeping these kinds of conversations going, so don't hesitate to jump in and let us and the world know what you think. After the show, we'll give you some more details about how to connect with each of us and more about what we're up to individually. A quick note and warning before we get started that in our enthusiasm, we have definitely been known to use a naughty word or two. And we hope you'll love all the words in between, too much to care. So without further ado, let's see what we're up to in this episode. Hello, everybody. It's another Thinking Pilates podcast, and it's a Friday. Oh, I'm not sure what that means, except for that I have had a glass of wine already, and (laughs) I won't even tell you what time it is in California. I am joined by my dear darling and sweet friend, James Crater. How's it going, James? I'm good. I'm actually enjoying my glass of wine as we talk. Presently. Amazing. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Great. Oh, I love it. Well, it's bound to be an exciting podcast. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see if our... Our spectacular guest today is also drinking, hopefully not, uh, <laughs> given the circumstances, but we are here with Jessica Vallant. Hi, Jessica. Hi, guys. And I have to say, I haven't switched to wine yet, but I have a big coffee in my hand as we speak. So. <laughs> oh, equally, equally as lovely. Yes. <laughs> I feel like um, all day I'm either asking myself, is it too late for coffee or is it too early for wine? Like those are the yes. questions I'm constantly but, debating. <laughs> does that actually exist? Is that a thing? I don't think so. Ooh, too no. early for wine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or too late for coffee. I mean, no. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I agree. I agree on both, on both counts. I mean, in Europe, right, you're up at 10 a.m. and you're drinking wine with your salami sandwich. So yeah, <laughs> there's that. <laughs> I had that experience not too long ago. In any case, um, we're here with Jessica Vallant. And she is the founder and creator of Jessica Vallant Pilates. She is so, so much more than that. And we're going to hear about um, uh, all the things that she's working on and has done and has got up her sleeve. Um, But I think that what we're talking about today really is um, the celebration of movement and the celebration of Pilates. I think we're going to talk a bit about love and how much we love what we do and we love Mm -hmm. teaching And in particular, what inevitably I think we might come around to is talking about the shift that's happening in our community professionally 
and from a student perspective or practitioner perspective. So um, certainly that includes all of us as teachers. And um, uh, Jessica, I think, is in a really sweet position to, to talk about that. Jessica, um, James sent me an email earlier. We're, we're, we're like on high gear recording our episodes for season two, and we'll be interviewing Blossom Crawford pretty soon. Mm-hmm. And she... Um, you know, coming from Hawaii, mm-hmm. James James formulated this really beautiful question. And um, having lived in Hawaii myself, knowing that you have also lived in Hawaii, mm-hmm. I just thought that we would start there because mm. it might be a way of our listeners gaining some really nice insight into who you are and what you're all about. So the question is, why did you move to Hawaii what was the what was the compelling uh, notion? Like, tell us a little bit about that. That is a great question, and everybody asks that how we ended up there. So, mm-hmm. for me personally, I the kind of long story. I met my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, and he had been to this little town in Hawaii and fallen in love with it, and he was getting ready to move there, and he was so excited to tell me about it. And I said, "Well, that's great." but I don't know you and I don't know Hawaii. So you go ahead and move there. And it was nice <laughs> to know you. <laughs> and he said, okay, maybe I'll stay. This was in Denver. He said, maybe I'll stay for a while. And so we ended up visiting them and we just fell in love with this little town, Kailua. We made friends there and we ended up like dog sitting for people. So we would go back and forth from Denver when people needed dog sitters and um, we just loved it. And finally, both of us got to a spot that we could move just with our careers and everything. And I think ultimately it came down to we both were born beach people somehow. I was born in Kansas, so who knows? Um, He was born in in Pennsylvania, but just in our souls, we are beach warm weather people. And neither of us had studied abroad. So I think we both kind of had that bug a little bit, but wanting to keep our careers going and we had two dogs, we knew we wanted to keep it in the United States um, and not have to worry about work visas. So Hawaii kind of seems like this perfect, perfect in between, perfect combination of all of that. So we packed everything up telling ourselves, we'll just split time. We'll just spend half a year there. We'll spend half a year in Denver and we'll just play and then come back to Denver. And we got there and I would say within three months, we knew we weren't leaving. We just fell in love Mm. with it. And people either they either do or they don't. And I honestly believe the islands talk to you and, Mm -hmm. um, and it's either, yeah, you know, it's either right for you or it isn't. And if it isn't, that's completely fine too, but it was for us. And it's just, it's where my soul honestly lives. I just, I just Mm. can't get over how much I love it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the story of how we ended up there. And we were very, very lucky to be able to um, have jobs. I opened my studios and my clinics there. We had an amazing set of friends. We had our daughter there. So that's a big piece of it. If you can find the community um, that you fit well with there, then then it definitely helps the transition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Were you in Kailua Kona on the big island or were you? We were in Kailua on Oahu. So it's about 30 Oahu. minutes. Yeah. 30 minutes from Honolulu on the windward side. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And what would you say, like, if you could identify, I know what I so know, I sense, I mean, like in my body, I know what yeah. you're talking about when you say that the islands talk to you. I mean, there, yeah. it really is, um, there's a pull for sure. Yeah. 
but what, what would you say? Like, so you're a physical therapist, you're a Pilates mm-hmm. teacher, you are clearly um, an entrepreneur and you've been a studio owner, you've been a clinic owner. Um, given all of that, you know, that's, that's very like, I don't mean to pigeonhole you, but you know, it's like, that's very type A stuff. Like that yeah. takes a lot of yeah. education, a lot of perseverance. And um, I don't know for the people who are listening, if you've been to Hawaii, you may not have the same experience, but in Hawaii, everything moves like a yeah. thousand times slower it's than it does. Time. Yeah, yeah. It's island. So there is, there is definitely a resonance, right? You have to like downshift in a major yeah. way. But it's but it's worth it, right? I mean, you do that in order to kind of invite in all yeah. of the beauty and the magic that's there. If you could, like, so you you were working. I mean, you were obviously doing your work while you were there. How did how did being on the island influence your work while you were there? I or, think. Or, I think um, I would say in the way that it influenced me as a person that probably translated into my work Um, on a, on a kind of obvious level, I guess, when people look at it, it can make things difficult. I mean, people don't ship furniture to Hawaii. And if you can imagine shipping 20 reformers over, it's insane, (laughs) the negotiation and the cost. And so there are definitely pieces like that, that you have to work around. So the obvious business owner piece, um, you know, is definitely different in those kind of aspects. But as a person, what Hawaii taught me was to let go of um, retail items and things that you thought were important. No one cares what you drive in Hawaii. No one cares what you wear in Hawaii. Um, Everyone has rusty old beach cruisers that they're riding Mm -hmm. around. Um, (laughs) People literally come to class with sand in between their toes. I have to have them go wash their feet in the sink and come back in. Um, you, you really let go of some of those things that keep you, at least for me personally, I will say it came back to, I was able to let go of what I thought was important or what I thought identified me as a person and Mm -hmm. really find peace in simply where you are. Um, so the material items people really let go of, um, I got into hula because I really wanted to experience that part of island life Mm -hmm. and the culture And you just learn to move your body in a different way. And the idea of what typical beauty is, is very turned on its head in Hawaii. I was nine months pregnant walking the beach in a bikini because that's what everyone does. No one cares what kind of body, right? No one cares what kind of body you have. You're just out enjoying the earth and the ocean and the breeze. And um, so as a person, that's what it let me do. So I was able to get away from rules and air quotes on how someone should look or what should someone should be before they start coming to Pilates. Um, And I also really found that I needed to be very sensitive to different cultures when it came to clientele. So I had people call me out on certain things that I was trying to tell them that I understood and they would come out and say, you know, to be honest, you don't really understand this. And I would say, you know what, you're right. Thank you for saying that. I don't, I don't know what it's like to be a minority in your culture. I don't know what it's like to feel this or to come from this background. So help me understand. So there were a lot of aspects like that, that I think just simply as a person, it changed me. And so I was able to teach from a much more peaceful, grounded place. Um, 
letting go of the rules and finding more freedom and movement in that mm. kind of space. Mm. Was yeah. that a hard transition for you, Jessica, as far as like physical therapy into that space of just kind of being present in there and um, experiencing? I think I had already found that, which that's what Pilates really mm. found. I should say that's what Pilates found in me as a practitioner, which really helped shape who I am as a physical therapist. So mm-hmm. I had been a PT only about six months before I was trained in Pilates back in 2001. Um, and so I always knew I was a more holistic practitioner than a lot of physical therapists out there. And mm-hmm. Pilates helped me find that even more. So I feel like I was ready for it. When I got to Hawaii, it was actually more of a transition coming back to the mainland when we moved back. I was actually pretty nervous about coming back and how I would fit in and if I would fall back into that um, material item kind of culture and how I would do. And so that's been an interesting transition is keeping some of that um, that I learned when I was in Hawaii, but also embracing what the mainland does offer, which, you know, it has a lot more options. There are a lot more people practicing. Um, I was the first one to open a dual physical therapy clinic and Pilates studio in Hawaii. That's why I opened them because there was nowhere I could work and do what I Mm -hmm. wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it it was an interesting shift, but yeah, I think, I think I was ready for it going to Hawaii because it was already a part of who I was. I had to kind of embrace that. If that makes sense. I think I had been fighting it a little bit and I had to really embrace it and say, you know what? I, I don't really play within the typical rules. So let me express this and be who I am. And it helped to, help me to form my comfort level with that. Mm, that's so great. I mean, what a gift too, I think, to be exposed to Pilates and then to be forced into kind of this different perspective, right? Culturally, yeah. Yeah. Um, early on uh, as a physical therapist, I think that's, that's really interesting, which leads me to a question I had wanted to ask you, which is, given all of the roles that you've been in and given this experience and what you've been describing, like where do you land in the moment when somebody asks you what Pilates is? Like what, what, what does it feel like? Like how would you describe it for yourself? I have to say right now, I just say movement. And I, I love that you have that question and I've been thinking about it and I really, that's what comes to mind. And it, It just seems like it can be the most broad term, but that's what it is to me. Yeah, it's simply movement. And then there are pieces off of that, the joy of movement, the strength in movement, the empowerment in movement, the education and the health and the freedom of movement. And that's, that's what I love. And that's what Pilates does for me as a practitioner, both in my body, but also that's what it does for me. I would say as a physical therapist, I don't know if I could treat people anymore without Pilates. And that doesn't mean a reformer. A reformer is great to have, but we all know we don't need a reformer to teach Pilates. It's Mm -hmm. inherent in what we do. And Pilates allows me to show someone how to move again. It's movement re-education. And like I said, it gives them this empowerment in their bodies that they haven't had to maybe move pain-free for the first time in 10 years, to maybe actually feel correct movement that they haven't ever before. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when it comes down to it, that's, yeah, that really is what Pilates is, is for me. It's, it's movement. 
in a lot of different ways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then do you feel like there's something, would you, like, how would you articulate? Because we've been talking about just beginning now this season as we've kind of been revamping um, what thinking Pilates is and, and what our purpose is and what our vision mm-hmm. is for, for the conversations we're having um, uh, to look at, you know, Pilates, not as a method, right. Not yeah. as a, 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 a kind of hard and fast box yeah. with, within which we have to, you know, move, but, but is, is there something um, interesting. And for me and James and, and Deborah, and I think many others, of course, the answer is yes. But is there something interesting in the Pilates mindset, right? So something that's outside of the the often rigidity, right, of yeah, Pilates yeah. as a very specific thing. What, what, do you, what would you say to that? Like, what, is, what do you think about the Pilates mindset? I think it's interesting because when, and we all know, cause we've all been there. When we start out as a practitioner, you almost have to have the box to feel safe because mm-hmm. you're dealing with memorizing exercises and breathing patterns and springs and keeping someone safe. And then I want to take my exam. And so it is very frontal lobe for a long time. Mm-hmm. And it kind of has to be, again, for, for a practitioner to be safe. That's what I tell my newbies and my beginners is let yourself be in that frontal lobe place. Write it down if you have to, to start. You want to be safe. You want to feel strong as an instructor. You want to know you're doing a good job, like you said, within the method. So a little bit within the box. And mm-hmm. then you'll start to find that your personality comes through, your philosophy and life comes through as a practitioner. And I think what happens is people try to stifle that. They try to put the lid of the box back on. No, I have Mm -hmm. to remember the rules and I have to remember what I was taught and I have to remember this and this is the lineage I come from. So I'm just going to stay within that. And I would say, let the lid open a little bit. Once you're in that, you know, three, four, up to five years of experience place, let the lid open and see what happens. Start to experiment. If your gut is coming out and telling you to try this movement, then try it and see what happens and go from there. And you have a client who now maybe the books say shouldn't be able to do that abduction, but by golly, you're watching them do it. So let them do it. And then, you know, watch them move. And I can't even say how many times I've gone against what my physical therapy books say, but it's only after a certain amount of experience that I, and seeing a certain number of clients that I can say, you know what, I know that you are not supposed to do flexion with the disc, but I also know that I have a handful of clients who come in telling me they love it. And so am I going to listen to the book or am I going to listen to the Mm. person standing in front of me with their words telling me that they want to move in this way? And so that's where I think we need to start to support people is letting the lid come off and you're grounded in your training. That never goes away. We are all grounded in our training, but let your personal vision and philosophy and life experience come through and how you teach. Um, And let's not judge each other for that. Let's, let's support each other in that because there are clients who are going to need each of us. There's a client that needs each of you that wouldn't hear what I'm saying because they need your life experience, not mine. Mm. And so there's, you know, there's enough to go around. And I think that's another thing that's hard about the Pilates world. We have either been taught or we feel this idea of scarcity 
with clients and competition. We're always a little afraid of that. And I think if we can come to a place of confidence in ourselves, but also that there are really enough clients for all of us, that would allow us to support each other a little more. Yeah, it's funny. I have a I have a friend in LA, which is a pretty saturated, you know, mm-hmm. Pilates market, if there is a saturated market. Yeah. And uh, her, her point of view is, I think it's something ridiculous that, you know, a few years ago when we were having this conversation, it's like 10% of Americans actually pay for some sort of physical fitness training. And of that 10%, I think 1% is Pilates. So out of everyone in the U S only 10% of people are actually paying for fitness. And out of that 10%, only 1% of that is paying for Pilates so until 100% of the U.S. knowing <laughs> Pilates, there isn't competition. You know, there isn't a scarcity of, of bodies to go around. Yeah, right. But I mean, that's, it, it's so interesting, right, when you apply metrics to something. And, and I think it's like some, it's just not maybe something we do intuitively. We don't apply, I mean, most of us um, in, as teachers, I think I can say, uh, we don't we don't necessarily go right to the numbers, but when you do, it's like, well, of course, of course, there's no such thing as scarcity. I mean, not not in what we're talking about. I mean, it's not like it's not a real thing, but mm-hmm. but in terms of the availability of, you know, the people who will potentially need us or want us, yeah, it's it's pretty pretty black and white when you put it that way. Yeah. Um, one thing that's, that comes to mind listening to you talk, Jessica, is that, um, you know, the Pilates mindset as, as a matter of like trusting yourself Mm -hmm. and, you know, listening to you talk, I hear you say, you know, that there's an evolution of, as a teacher, you begin to trust yourself. And, you know, I was talking to a teacher in training today and I said, you know, the, the bottom line is that this work takes time and it takes experience Mm -hmm. and there's no way to get around that. Like, you can't be somewhere that you're not. And I know that's true for most things, but, you know, in particular, as you're developing yourself as a teacher and in the method, it's, you know, it just takes time. And at some point you do begin to trust yourself and then you can expand your approach, but also that it's potentially a matter of then allowing your students to trust to themselves. I think Mm. that's a, you know, that's a very, Um, it's a very rich perspective and I really appreciate that. Yeah. Well, I think something curious happened maybe when we, uh, switched, switched contrology to Pilates Mm. and, you know, if, if we think of contrology as sort of, you know, the, the art of controlling the body or, or at least, um, experiencing and working with the body, you know, that's sort of a broader mindset. That's sort of a broader that's a broader topic and, and applicable to a lot of individuality there. And then when we switch it to the Pilates method, then yeah, it's easy to reduce that to someone's perspective on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, where, you know, if, if you consider the intention behind Joseph Pilates work of being, well, how do you control your body? And then how do you do that? And then how do you do that? Mm-hmm. I think it makes more space for teachers to be individual and for clients to appreciate their specific individuality all on the same goal of getting to a space where you're um, more in control of the situation than not. So Jessica, you know, we've talked a little bit about your, but your background and um, 
you know, what, what's interesting to me is I was kind of investigating you and you sent me some really great information um, about your history is, is to see that you, you have organically done the thing that I think that all of us are being called to do. And some of us are, uh, you know, have been compelled for a long time to, to shift and start to explore a different paradigm of what being a Pilates teacher means. And, and some of us are just kind of cluing into like, Oh, I can't necessarily do the things that I, everybody used to always do, you know, like the brick and mortar studio with, you know, only offering private classes or, you know, whatever it might be, but you've gone from, you know, having brick and mortar businesses um, and teaching students to now moving back to the mainland and um, you haven't had, (laughs) that's my daughter. (laughs) Sorry. Um, you want to say hi? Say hi. Hi. Hi, hi Sydney. <laughs> All right. Quick, quick. Go ask your papa. I love you. I love you, I love you too. Get, get out. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best ever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you are not. You are not cutting that out. No. I'm not don't. cutting that out. Okay. Because I'll tell everyone too, I left my husband upstairs with two kids, one sleeping, one not. And I'm like, okay, if he really needs to be fed, you can come knock on the door. But otherwise, don't come knock on the door, please. So I'll let you know if I'm nursing at the same time as I'm talking to you. Okay, awesome. Yes. Yes. Because, oh my God, I don't know how many times I did that when when Sydney was... (laughs) Well, I had the door locked and apparently I did not lock it well enough. (laughs) (laughs) What happened? Um, In any case... You, you're back in Denver and you don't, so let me, just to make sure I'm really clear, you don't have a studio now. Is that correct? No, I don't own one. Mm -mm. I see privates. I do see clients because I don't think I ever cannot do that, but no, I don't have a studio anymore. That's my own, not a brick and mortar. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so you've moved. (laughs) Can you hear that? She's banging on the door. Okay. That was all about watermelon gum <laughs> all about the need the urgency and the need for watermelon gum all right i understand yeah, yeah when do you, you when you need it you need it you know? yeah <laughs> yeah well when you're four when you need anything you need it oh, immediately. Gosh. immediately <laughs> all right so the point let get just to get to the freaking point you have moved organically it would seem uh, into um, uh, the new paradigm, right? Of yeah. of being an online entrepreneur, and you have this beautiful website, Jessica Valant Pilates, where you're offering, you know, um, memberships and online classes and and mm-hmm. lots of really great stuff. Um, what what was what compelled you to go in this direction? And do you feel like, from your perspective, I mean, you're on the board of the PMA, so you know, I think you you have a, a different perspective than certainly James and I do. You're in mm-hmm. conversation with different people. Um, do you feel like the shift you made is something that's happening on a larger scale? Like, did you sense that, or do you see that now? Like, tell us a little bit about that. Um, for me, it definitely happened organically without a lot, well, without any forethought, to be honest. So I think anyone and you guys and anyone who owns brick and mortars know when you're in it, 
you're in it. I mean, there's not much time or thought for other things. Now I opened mine in 2007. So, I mean, I, I guess Facebook was a thing, but that was about it. I mean, I, yeah, I guess it was a thing. So we had a Facebook page. We definitely had a website, but I was all about, I mean, I was doing local marketing. I was in our local magazines. I was putting flyers up in coffee shops, grassroots, knocking on doors. Um, I had a Yelp review, you know, doing all the SEO stuff I could do. So, I mean, my first experience with it was simply trying to get ranked number one on Google when people searched Hawaii Pilates. Um, and so we did that and I thought I was fine. And then when we decided to move um, to the mainland for our family in 2014, I kept the studios. I decided I could just manage them from afar. I had slowly decreased my client load when we had our daughter. I had an office manager in place. And so we had two clinics and studios at the time. So we moved to San Diego and I managed them from afar, but I had a few clients who said, I really want some workouts from you still. Um, and they had moved, so they weren't going to the studio anymore. And I simply said, well, gosh, I could send you a video because I had already been doing that. And I bet a lot of us do it. And at least in physical therapy, we give people home exercise programs every day. So I used to draw out stick figures and I still do it, but a lot of times I'll just take a video with their phone on the exercise I want them to do at home. So I was thinking, well, how could I do that and give it to you if your knee hurts? How can I tell you from far away? And so I posted my first YouTube video and that's really what it was kind of for. And it was at the bar in one of our studios and it was dark and you can't hear me, but I did it and I gave someone the link. And I thought, well, gosh, I guess that's a way I could still work with my clients being in San Diego. And to be honest, it was just kind of an outlet for me because we moved. I had a one-year-old and I had gone from seeing so many clients and patients and managing a staff of 19 to being at home with my daughter. It was just a big mental shift for me. So I still wanted a little outlet. So I started just videoing with my phone and putting some things on YouTube. And I started learning more about online marketing, doing a lot of it for the studios I wasn't doing it for myself and it really did just organically shift to me realizing, you know, I think I could make this a business and simply monetize it for myself separate from the studios. So I could still be at home with my kids, but work and do what I love. And that's really the impetus for it. Um, and then we ended up selling the studios, but keeping, obviously it had become Jessica Vallant Pilates at that point. And so I think I just got on board a little bit on the early side simply because of that, because I wanted a way to do what I loved and online was the best bet for me. Um, and I will say it's amazing and it's, and it's a whole other learning process. I do think that someone should have some teaching experience under their belt first. I can't imagine trying it from the very beginning. I mean, like you said, we don't we learn so much and simply by practice. And the only way to really practice is hands on and eyes on. Um, and so that's why I still do it because it's, that's the core of what we do. Right. I mean, in Pilates, we're people, people, <laughs> we're people, people. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think we still need that. I don't think there's any way to get away from it, but in this day and age to be able to reach I mean, I got an email today from a woman in Indonesia who wants to know how she can access my videos because she loves the scoliosis video that I have on YouTube. I mean, I get mm -hmm. the most amazing emails from people in Africa and, and 
Asia and people who don't have, even here in America, who are just rural and have no access to physical therapy or don't have the money to pay for physical therapy, actually. And they will email me saying, thank you so much for that knee video you posted. My knee's feeling better than it has in years. Um, And so it's really neat to see that side that we don't get to see as a brick and mortar studio, our Mm -hmm. reach. Um, But I try to always come back to what I learned in my brick and mortar to realize it's still a business. You know, online seems so fun and out there. Well, it's still really a business. You still need to have a business plan and know how you're going to monetize. You want to make sure that you're doing the best you can for the clients. Um, And so that's what I do is I really think of one person. I don't think, how can I reach a thousand people with this, but how can I reach that one person and what's my demographic? And that helps me still stay in line with what my philosophy is as a teacher. So Jessica, I'm sure you've, I'm sure you've learned a lot of lessons as you've uh, progressed into the online sphere. Uh, What, you know, for undoubtedly more and more people are going to be uh, uh, treading into that work environment. Any advice or any things that you've learned along the way that you can spread the love? I think probably a couple things. One is what I kind of um, touched on a little is I would definitely wait until you have maybe even five years of experience under your belt of in-person work because, and I think we can all probably attest to this. So you start out um, as a beginner instructor scared, which is good. We probably should all be a little scared when yeah. we're new, <laughs> learning and we're asking questions and we're writing things down. Like I said, and we're going back to our notes. And then there's this jump from new and scared to, oh my gosh, I know everything. I am awesome. Like I'm amazing. (laughs) Everyone should come see me and I can fix everybody because this is so awesome. And I think we should all go through that period too, because you should believe in the work that much and you should believe in yourself that much that you think it can fix everyone. And then you kind of settle in this middle ground of, you know what? I know what I know, but I also really know what I don't know. And I think to go online, you need to be there. You need to be in this place of understanding what you know and what your strengths are, but also not being afraid to turn people away um, because you're going to get emails from a lot of people asking a lot of questions because your reach is so broad. And so I'm not afraid to say, you know what? I can't help you with that. I'm sorry. I need Mm -hmm. to do a full evaluation. I mean, I definitely tread very, very cautiously there because you want to watch what your scope of practice is and you don't want to step over that. So, so that's one thing I would say is just make sure that you are at a place that you have enough experience hands-on that you're comfortable transferring online. Um, I would also say have a clear focus of who your demographic is or who your avatar is going to be. Mm-hmm. I think I started out wanting to, because again, your, bro- your reach can be so broad. I was like, I'm going to, I want everybody between the ages of 18 <laughs> and 80. And I want everyone and women. Yes, exactly. And I want instructors <laughs> and clients. And I realized quickly, you start to see who attaches themselves to you. And everyone who was reaching out to me were actually students, either students who had done Pilates and loved it and moved somewhere that they couldn't do it, or they had gone through an injury. And I started to find that I guess it's obvious now, but it wasn't to me at the time. I'm a physical therapist. That's the place I teach from. So of course I'm getting a lot of clients with injuries and people who are excited that I can modify for them. So 
I had to humble myself and say, I'm not going to treat all the athletes anymore online, or I I shouldn't say treat. I'm not going to brand myself to that. I found that branding myself to the right demographic and niching down a little bit is what allows you to really speak to the right people. Cause you really can reach so many people online, but if you're trying to reach everybody, you kind of aren't going to reach anybody. Mm-hmm. So Definitely. I would, yeah, I would say find your brand or your niche. Um, and then also know how you're going to monetize it because I think we're such a big social media culture that we all want the followers, which is great. I do too. I definitely check my followers, but that isn't necessarily going to get you money unless you want to be a true influencer and you want to get money from partners and from sponsors. Yeah. Um, that, that never felt true to me. I tried it a couple of times of having sponsors and, um, it just never felt right to me. So I, again, had to humble myself and let it go and realize it wasn't my strength, but, um, but I was able to put together videos and sell them to my small niche and that, made me money. And so I started to quickly realize how I could monetize. So I think just having a general idea of why you're doing it, and maybe you are just doing it for fun, which is awesome. If you love social media, just, you know, put up an Instagram account and just have fun with it. But for me, it was, I needed to find a way to help support my family. So I wanted to be able to make money and bring it in. And so just know that, you know, how, what does that look like for you and your brand and your business online? I think this is really interesting because it, it's not hard anymore to right. take a video and post it up on YouTube or Vimeo or whatever, and then put a price on it and then say that you're going to sell it. But right. I, I do think what you're saying is ultimately so, so critical is not just know how you're going to monetize because there are lots of ways. I mean, you're doing memberships and you can sell videos a la carte and you can do coaching and you can do, you know, all webinars and you can do all right. kinds of things. Um, but to really know who your audience is and yeah. flat your audience and to be then really committed to that. If you, if you feel like you've landed on the right audience and, and that's not mm-hmm. always, you know, like that takes time too. And yeah. it takes a lot of trial and error, but so not just, not just monetizing, but really being clear about, um, who it is that you're serving. And I, and I think that's, um, that's really valuable. And what you said before, Jessica, I think is also, um, such a good point about online teaching, which is, you know, don't, you know, don't necessarily teach from a place of like, I'm trying and really stay invested in that. And I think, you know, what a beautiful way to, as you said, really stay in, in touch with why you're teaching and, mm-hmm. um, you know, to make a greater impact. I think that's, you know, that's so, it's so easy to get lost in that because social media, I just find, uh, when you said like, if you love social media, fine, go for it. I just thought, oh my God, who loves social media? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe James, I mean, I do, I like it when it's warm and fuzzy and people are, you know, liking my stuff and commenting, but you know, ultimately it feels like, oh, not, not really something, um, I'm intuitively interested in, but, um, it, it's easy to get just, I think, spun out on, you know, feeling like we have to, ha- we have to do that and we have to be best at that. And yeah. like, maybe, maybe that's not really true, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think you want to find, I guess for me, I think of the time I spend now on social media and videos and those things. And 
I don't think I could have done it when I had my brick and mortar and I was in front of 40 clients a week and managing my staff. And so I think that's okay. I think now, like, I'm glad social media didn't have such a big presence when I was a studio owner, because I think I would have put so much pressure on myself Yes, to do all, yeah, to do it all. Um, and I look at people who do both and they blow me away. Like Carrie Paget. I mean, she has an amazing online program going and she owns a studio. And so I think, I know some people can do it. And for me, I think it might've been too much. I don't know. Cause I haven't really done both at the same time. So I would say if you do have brick and mortar, only start to go on that online route if it's really exciting to you or really interesting to you, or if you feel like you're not really getting what you want from your in-person work and you want to explore something new. But if you are just rocking it and doing great with your in-person stuff, then don't feel like you have to. And it's the same, like you said, if you hate, I actually talked to Anula about this because her social media blows me away. And I was mm-hmm. like, how do you, I need to do that. I have to do that every day. Look at what she's doing. And I finally asked her and she's like, well, I love it. I just love yeah. it so much. And I'm like, yeah. thank yeah. goodness. That's the most freeing thing you could have said to me because I'm totally. the same. I like it. There are days I love it. And there are days I'm like, yeah. eh. and on the days yeah. I'm like, and eh, then I don't do it because I don't, yeah. I think we should just be doing I mean, of course, there's going to be little things we have to do in life. And of course, we have to pay the bills and negotiate lease and all of that. But when it comes to kind of marketing and we should do what we love. And I love video. So YouTube's kind of my thing. And Instagram's super fun. And I talk about my kids and my life. And that, um, Exactly. I think that, yeah. I think that is the, the, the conversation about um, the shift in, in Pilates' work yeah. Is that it's, there's not a right way to do it. It's just, you should be doing it the way that makes you the most happy. And mm-hmm. you know, if that's a brick and mortar doing just privates or just classes, then wonderful. And if it's an online thing or a social media thing, then do that. Yeah. If it's solely workshops, I mean, I see Jenna and where she's going, yeah. where it's like yeah. truly the first, probably like Pilates spokesperson that we've had you know, it's like, that's a totally different route than I've seen anyone ever take mm-hmm. with this. And that's, that's what she does. That's what makes her happy. So I think it's about giving, giving an understanding that there's options in this field. Yeah. Well, and growing options, right? I mean, that's yeah. one of the things that we've been talking about is, is just really explicitly kind of outing the fact that we, I think, are in the midst of a big paradigm shift in the way that yeah. we do the work. And it's obviously propelled by um, the technological age and advances in social media. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I love having an online business. I, I love it. I, I don't know that I would ever own a brick and mortar business again. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's exciting. It's exciting. I travel all over the country and I teach workshops yeah. and I have workshops online and I'm coaching and mentoring people from all over the world on the phone from my bed. I'm like, I'm in my bed right now. (laughs) 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 That is, that, that's something else. And, and I think just, you know, bringing, bringing more of this, like the reality of this, the challenge of this, the the potential um, realistic awesomeness of it, right? Because it's not just all rainbows and unicorns. I mean, it's a lot of work. Um, but, but if we can embrace the fact that, yeah, our, our, um, I guess paradigm really in the moment feels like the best word is shifting. 
Um, and we can say like, Hey, like how let's, let's be really creative. James and I were talking about this, um, just the other day about the workshop, um, that he and Anula are doing together Mm -hmm. called shift happens. And the whole idea of shift, um, you know, kind of philosophically within the Pilates method. And then also just in the way that we are working with people, whether we're working with students or we're working with teachers, but there is just like just this beautiful innovation and creativity that's going on um, that, that is exciting, I think. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. So speaking of shift, let's talk about two very cool things. And um, James, you, you had brought up in our uh, kind of pre pre emailing questions, the Pilates love movement. Do you want to ask Jessica, about that. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, so Jessica, we have circulated in the same group of friends for a while now. And this <laughs> ironically is the first time we're actually talking. I know. Um, so that's pretty, that's pretty cool. And your name first came <laughs> on my radar with the Pilates love movement. And so yeah. I, I think probably a lot of listeners have seen it, you know, or experienced it via Facebook or videos, but what, what is the Pilates love movement? And why? Why the Pilates? <laughs> I, well, I'll tell you how it started. And it's been, I guess, a little over a year. We might have had our one year anniversary recently. Um, so as most of you all know, Anula, she, again, was just an online friend. Um, and we had just kind of spoken and I had just loved the crop top challenge that she had done and participated in that with her a little bit. But something had come up, as we all know, is getting worse and worse, I feel like on social media, some of the um, negative comments that people feel they can write. And so someone had written something in response to one of Anula's posts on the crop top challenge. And I don't know what it was for me. It was like the straw that broke the camel's back a little bit. I just, with everything going on in the world, it just seems like, do we really need one more? And do we need this in response to a, a movement that's beautiful? I mean, it was, it was, just a beautiful kind of movement the crop top challenge was. So I, I don't know what happened. I had just gotten into Facebook live a little bit for my own business. I knew the power that it had and it hit me that not many people were doing classes. I had done a few on Facebook live, but no one had done a group class. And I have rarely seen in the Pilates world instructors teach together. And I know it happens. I definitely know it happens, but it's not something we really talk about or do a lot. A lot of times it's just individual instructors doing what we do. And so I reached out to Anula and then a few other, again, these were all online friends. I don't think I'd met anyone in person yet, but um, the girls that really had been involved in some of the positive output on social media with me. So that's Leslie Logan and Jenna Zatino and then Carrie Paget. And I said, I really direct messaged them all on Instagram and said, Hey, would you guys be interested in teaching a Facebook live class? We can just jump from one to another and we just promote it to whoever. And we are simply saying we are standing together. We are teaching together. We're standing together, but we don't look the same. We're not teaching the same and that's all okay. We are all from different backgrounds and great. Let's just have fun. And they said, yes. So we decided Pilates love movement would be the best name because that's, we move and we love and we love to move. And that really is the (laughs) basis for it. And um, 
you know, it's just turned into this beautiful movement and the classes we do and being able to raise some money was a great addition to that. And I think I really just love the conversations that it started with people. Um, and yeah, and that, and it's led to beautiful friendship, beautiful friendships as well. I just think it's the coolest idea. Like it's just so smart so smart from a branding perspective, if you want to talk marketing and so smart for like where we are, you know, within the, within the Pilates revolution of just sort of saying, it doesn't matter what the lineage is. It doesn't matter the background or what, you know, what, what technical thing you're trying to get out of these movements. It's, it's just a movement and it's about community and it's about just showing up. Yes. And I really, I really want everyone to know it's not even saying that lineage is bad. It's that it's all okay, that all of it is great. I mean, I love where people come from and I love our elders. I love, I love all of it. It's what grounds us in who we are. I mean, it's beautiful. And I get tears in my eyes when I hear people speak. And I mean, it's just amazing the sense of community we have. It's just saying, you know what, we can be more like we can be we can be better than this negative stuff that's going on right now on social media and our industry. And um, we can, we can rise above it and we can contribute not only to our industry, but we can really contribute to everything going on in the world. If we can simply spread love, honestly, it sounds cliche, but I, I truly 100% believe in it. I, I really do. Yeah. And maybe, maybe there's no answer here, but I'm just curious why, why do you think there is so much negativity or what, what, what is that about? I, nice, nice question. Yeah, James. I know. Great. Yeah. No, I will, deal, just, <laughs> it's okay. I will say it's just my philosophy in life is that all of the negativity in life comes from fear in one way, shape or form. And that might be too deep to get into, but I've thought about it a lot because the news is hard for me right now. I have to avoid it in a lot of, in a lot of ways and a lot of places. And, and so I think deep down, all of it does come from fear. Now I will say, obviously we know the industry, we don't need to skirt around it. There's a lot of politics. There are a lot, there's a lot of history in our industry. And so I try very hard to respect that because I, I can understand where it comes from. I mean, it's not a completely foreign thing to me, how people feel and why they want to have some of these fights that have come up about the obvious things, classical versus contemporary. And do we need a certification and all of those kind of things? I do understand it, but I think it has led to us going down a path that has taken us away from what the method really does and how it can benefit people. And somehow it's led us to this place of fear, not enough clients, people are doing it wrong, people are going to you know, tarnish the name of Pilates, none of which is really going to happen. Um, and then social media just lends itself to people having a voice who they can do it anonymously and from, you know, the safety of a screen, just like all mm-hmm. of us. I mean, how many of us have dialed people? Hopefully we just get the answering machine because then we can leave the message we really want. Like we don't want them to actually answer. Oh, right? all the time, every day. <laughs> that's that's the my time. MO on the phone. Like, please God, don't let anyone answer. <laughs> and that's the way social media kind of is, is. I could just type it out and hit return. And then I did it. And no one really, of course they know it's me because my picture's there, but they don't really know me and I can say what I want. And um, when nobody's in question. Right. And then once one person does it, another person feels like they can say it and it just snowballs. And I feel like, yeah, I, 
I don't know. That's my long answer of where it comes yeah. from. I thought a lot about it. And for me personally, sometimes I just have to turn it off and walk away. And I want to cancel all my social media accounts. And then I realize one, from a business perspective, I can't do that. But two, then I'm not contributing to the flip side of it. I mean, we can't always just, right. We can't just walk away, even though we want to sometimes. And even though I don't want my kids to ever have social media accounts, we can't just just walk away. So I think think this is, oh, go ahead. ahead. uh, I I think too, it also, to add into that, it also, um, perpetuates the bonding of, of people. I just heard a recent thing that people are bonded more by the things they don't like than the things yeah. that they do like. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, if, 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 if both of us don't like this thing and, and we are vocal about it and we yeah. recognize that in each other, then we are more bonded than if we all yeah. just like something. Yes. And I do think the negative voices are louder even if yeah. there's just one. And so it makes it feel like there's more negativity when I truly don't think there is. I just think that it's louder. And so I think if the positivity can just be louder, if we can just spread more of that, all of us and realize how we're similar versus how we're different and then understand it's okay that we're different. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with us being different. Well, thank God we're different. (laughs) Exactly. And I think, and I don't think that there could be a more perfect segue into what is happening in June. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's, (laughs) <laughs> that's Yay. exactly what it's about, right? So yeah. what's what's happening in June? June <laughs> is the inaugural Momentum Fest, and I'm so excited. And um, it is, some of you have heard of it, and um, your two lovely hosts here are involved. I'm just so honored and humbled. And so we are putting it on in Denver. It's a three-day Pilates and Movement Festival, and it kind of came about Seven years ago, I went to a yoga festival with about 15 girlfriends on Oahu, and we took six yoga classes in a day. We went to a music party that night, came home, oh yeah, came home jello-y. I couldn't feel my body, and the biggest smile on my and the biggest smile on my face. And I turned to my husband and said, "Why don't we have anything like that in the Pilates community?" and I think that is what I've been searching for. We have things for teachers, which we need. We absolutely need and love. And the PMA conference is amazing. And we go and we learn and we take notes and we come back with so many tools in our toolbox. But that is for us as teachers, which again, we need. I find that there's nothing that takes us out of that teacher space and puts us back into the student place again, that place where we just love Pilates? How did we fall in love with it? How did we feel? How, how do we feel when we're able to make mistakes on our mat and laugh about it? And everyone can have their legs in a different position in the hundred and it doesn't matter how you breathe. You're just moving mm-hmm. and moving brings us back to that place of love for what we do. Mm-hmm. So that's what I really wanted was the experience of it. And I wanted something that allowed students to come too, because I feel like there isn't anything in our industry that allows people who just love to do Pilates to come. It doesn't matter if you're a teacher or not. And so that's, that's where it kind of came from. And it's really a place to come and have fun, to feel community. It's inclusive to everybody. And I hope everybody comes. Me too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I'm really intrigued by, and I was you know, thinking about this earlier and sent you a question kind of uh, around this, which is 
what a what a really wonderful opportunity to be students together, right? Like be yeah. practitioners together. Because I think even like when we go to the PMA conference, you know, we are in a way students together, but we are students secondarily to being teachers. And so, yeah. you know, even though there is often this beautiful camaraderie and connecting and, you know, the way James has described the recent PMA conference, you know, that is maybe happening more and more, but to just Mm -hmm. drop all of that and just be movers together and movers together, whereas we would normally be teachers together and then, and then really embracing like all the other movers who are not teachers. Like that's, that actually really, really excites me about, about momentum best. Um, Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. And I think it will let us take our guards down. I mean, I feel like when we're all teach, when we're teachers together, we have to get through the prerequisite questions first, right? Who were you trained by? When were you trained? How long have you been teaching? Where is your studio? And how many clients do you have? Like we have to go through that first. (laughs) And then then we can- How important are you and like him? And then we we move forward in our relationship one way or another. And, And I feel like even though this isn't meant to be, there's a hierarchy as well. And and I say that simply because I've felt it so much, especially as a new instructor and then a new studio owner wanting to get involved, but not knowing how, and also feeling like, oh, I just, I'm not one of those presenters. I'm not someone who's, a, you know, who has ever chosen to present because I'm not yeah. of that level. I'm this yeah. different level of teacher. And I feel like if we strip that down, like you said, and just be movers together and have fun then maybe at the end of that, we start talking about the clients we see and what did you do with that person? Oh, that's awesome. This is what I did with them. That's so cool because we're not coming from a place of preconceived notions. We're coming from a place of, hey, I just sweated through an hour and a half mat class with you and I stink and you stink and it's awesome. And let's go get a cocktail and just talk about it Um, because that's, that's basically who we are. We all fell in love with Pilates because we like to move. For Mm -hmm. some reason, in some way. And so let's get back to that. Yeah. Well, it's really exciting and it's commendable too because um, it's a lot of work. I mean, it's it's a lot of work to put something together like this. And I just want to um, point everybody. We have uh, Momentum Fest is actually one of our podcast sponsors, which is really thrilling to us because that's a new territory um, for Thinking Pilates. Um, and so all the information is on our, uh, website and, um, but the website for Momentum Fest is MomentumFest.com. Incredibly, uh, <laughs> we thought hard <laughs> about that one. So convenient. Um, but, I, but you know, one of the other things I'm really excited about, I've been talking to a lot of my, my teachers and my students, um, lately about like just how cool it is that there are volunteer opportunities and ambassador opportunities. So I want to encourage people to check that out because all the different ways and and also sponsorship, um, and vendor opportunities, but just a lot of ways to get involved. And Mm -hmm. I know that, um, the skillful teaching mentoring group, we're already percolating around a massive exodus, uh, from California, Colorado, and, and to have a big field trip, um, to the festival. Really come, looking come. forward to how that's yeah, and come please, to if anyone, and just to touch on the ambassador piece because I'm super excited about it. I 
for people, they can just go to the website, like you said, and they can check out um, applications and see the details. But basically, we want this to be kind of a grassroots movement of people feeling like they can be involved and getting really excited about it and then taking that back to their hometowns and home studios because that's where that's where Pilates is done. I mean, like we talked about. And so the ambassador program is they can kind of think about Lululemon ambassadors. That's where the thought process started is people who get really excited about something they believe in um, and then taking that. And so we have some fun things we're going to do, especially for our ambassadors. We'll have them all listed on the website with their headshots and their websites. But again, we want people who are so excited about what we're doing and to take that and kind of tell everyone in their hometowns and their studios about it. Mm-hmm. Well, and I can yeah. say I was, uh, I was privileged to be asked to come and teach at Momentum Fest. And, um, you know, I've, I've, I've taught at a, at a couple of things. And all of the instructors that are uh, currently listed to teach, we are all so excited. There's been a lot of behind the scenes talk amongst us of um, how do we make this just extra special. So there's like, there's an extra level of buy-in from all of us because it feels um, it feels important. Like this feels like an important, uh, uh, date on the calendar. So I'm really excited about it. That's awesome. You know, I really, and like I said, I feel just so honored to be a part of it and that's what makes it exciting. It is hard work. And, um, I think I don't even know what I don't know about it yet. I mean, (laughs) I don't know how much work it's really going to be. But it's with amazing people and it's an, it really is an industry I love so, so much. And so, yeah, I really am honored and I, I'm, I just love that people are excited about it. Well, it feels like a, like a celebration of movement. And so with that, Jessica, we've been sort of wrapping up all of the podcasts this season with a question. And so we want to know with everything going on in your life and in the world and how heavy everything can sometimes feel, it gets hard to find things to celebrate. So in this upcoming year, what are you going to be celebrating within your practice? I, and actually you guys made me think about this because I think you posted the question Mm -hmm. online and I thought about it and um, playing is, is what I'm going to celebrate. I have, I've gone through a couple abdominal surgeries in the past 10 years and one was just a year ago. And then I went through a few cycles of IVF last year, finally miraculously got pregnant, gave birth eight weeks ago. And so I feel like I haven't quite had ownership over my body in a while. And as a movement practitioner, that can be scary. Um, And so the fact that now I can just play within movement. I'm going to let go of the rules for the year because I don't even know what I can or can't do again. (laughs) So I'm coming, I'm coming back almost as a beginner, but with a very playful attitude of let's just see body. Come on. Can we pop up into this handstand? Okay. Nope, we can't. That's fine. Let's can we do a forearm (laughs) handstand? Yes, we can. And then can we take that straight into this? And how do we feel an elephant today? And Let's see about sideline leg series because that's always a cozy blanket I can come back to and feel good in. And um, that's really what I want. And to have, I think, my kids with me as much as I can when I move. I love that my daughter um, loves to play on the reformer dearly. It makes me happy. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, just just playing. That's, that's what I want this year is to play. Awesome. Yeah. So great. Love well, it. Jessica, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to talk with you again and to 
hear more about your path and where you've come from and where you're going. And um, yeah, thanks so much. Just so much gratitude for what you're doing in the community and in, in our profession. And thanks for spending some time with us. As always, we are thrilled to hear your feedback and we love to know that you're enjoying the podcast. So if you are, um, consider taking a second right now to get onto iTunes and leaving us a review. That would just make our day. Before we go, we have some special things to tell you about. And first is our season sponsor, Momentum Fest. Momentum Fest is founded by Jessica and Brian Vallant. The festival takes place in Denver, Colorado this coming June 22nd through 24th, 2018. And it's going to be held at the Omni Interlochen Hotel in Broomfield, Colorado. Now you can find out all the details on Momentum Fest at MomentumFest.com. Pretty simple. They've got some awesome opportunities. They have a wonderful volunteer and ambassador program. And of course, you can also become a sponsor or a vendor of the festival. Really, really looking forward to this experience. And um, from the buzz that I've heard and from conversations that I've had with other teachers, it's going to be just one big, giant, good time around movement and celebrating being in the body and moving in all kinds of wonderful ways. Check them out, MomentumFest.com. I really think getting on the bandwagon for being a volunteer or an ambassador is a brilliant way to get involved a little bit beyond just buying tickets and showing up. So check out those opportunities and we'll be hearing more about Momentum Fest in the episodes to come. And um, check out our revamped website at thinkingpilates.com. You can learn more about uh, all the other things that we're up to and our individual projects and businesses, skillful teaching, evolved body studio, physical thinking, and all of that good stuff on the website as well. If you're interested in exploring how to become an expert teacher and not just an expert in technique or special populations, the Science and Psychology of Teaching Master's program is a wonderful and rich curriculum that I've co-created with my colleague Anne Bishop of Body Brain Connect, and we are about to embark on our second year of the program. It starts early February, but the thing I wanted to tell you about is that we just released a very cool free educational video series, and I'd love to share that with you. We've included a link in the show notes so that you can access the series really easily. But again, if you happen to be on the Skillful Teaching website, just go check out the master's program and you can get everything you need there, including information about our upcoming three Q&A calls plus a special one-on-one -on -one consultation opportunity that we're offering. James and Deborah and I all have a really wacky and varied travel schedule coming up for 2018, so you can learn more about where we're going to be in the world by checking out the show notes on thinkingpilates.com. I think that for now is quite enough about all of us. Just one final huge big gratitude for all of you for listening, for making what we do possible. Until next time.